This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. So, we'll begin with, a, with a, a very, very important topic, and this is a topic that, that, is, that is important for everybody, whether you're fresh to Judaism, whether you've been with Judaism for a long time, or whether you're not even Jewish at all. I have, I have people that come to my class, actually, that are not Jewish at all, which I find it very fascinating. Actually, it's a little bit of an honor. First of all, it's, a, it's an interesting halakha question, is that are you allowed to teach somebody who's a, non, who's a non-Jew Torah? And it's not so simple, but generally there's other, other Jews over there also, so it's not so much of a problem. But in any case, the, the importance of this topic is people go through hardships in life. People, life doesn't always happen the way that you want it to happen. Sometimes it does and sometimes it doesn't. Now, how do we deal with those struggles, with those hardships? These, this, this is such an important, not only in the spiritual sense, but also in your physical well-being. How are you going to be able to cope with these things? How are you going to, what mechanisms are you going to use to make yourself feel good about it and, and be able to push on with life? Sometimes people have bad things happen to them and that's it, they get shut down for a week. There's one person that will have a bad day and that's it, for, the, for another week they'll, they'll be gloomy. And there's another person that couldn't care less. Eh, Somebody hits him, someone slaps him, someone this is, someone screams at him. Eh, doesn't care. He just chills through life, right? Just cruises through it, right? Just, also not so good. But but th- there is obviously people have different coping me- mechanisms. So what does the Torah say? How do we uh, deal with uh, with these types of situations? There are, and if we could go and and we even break this down even, even to minuscule things. There are people. Everybody has problems. Every single person has problems. Some people, you know, can't get married. Some people can't have children. Some people don't have money. Some people are married, but they're not happily married. Some people have children, but they're not happy with their children. Right? The children, everybody has some sort of issues on some level or another. Now, how is one to deal with it? So if I were to ask you, what would you think the best uh, midah um, or character trait to have that would be able to clean everything? I've asked this question before in a different uh, thing. There's one answer that answers everything. And we're not. Very good. Someone's listening. Very good. <laughs> and we're not is going gonna, is gonna to be the answer for everything. Today, Bizat Hashem, and, and probably we're going to be continuing this with next week because there's a lot to talk about it. We're going to discuss how we could use that emunah and how we could, how we could use the faith in God to, to be able to cope with, with, uh, hardships and sufferings and, and things of the such. There is, uh, the, the answer gets, the question, I'm sorry, gets even stronger is you have people that are Baalei Shuvah. So there are people, somebody who doesn't keep Shabbat, doesn't keep kosher for many years, and suddenly they wake up and they see the light, they see Judaism, it's amazing and it's awesome, and they decide they want to become religious. And they become 100% religious. And then they're, they're assuming, right, that the Second, they become religious. That's it. You know, God's going to send me everything that I need. Money is going to be pouring down, and there's a you know, my future spouse is going to come, and everything is going to go just you know, bliss. Because ah, listen, I'm listening to God. And then they're surprised when things are not going so much uh, their way. So how are you supposed to answer those people? And how are you supposed to you know, or if you're that person, how are you supposed to deal with it? So that's a that would be the goal for uh, today. The uh, um. Which I actually want to, to, the, the easiest answer, and we'll start with this and then we'll build off it, is people generally think that everything that happens can be bad or good. And that's how they generally see their thing. This was bad and this was good. And the answer is that it's far from it. That's far from the truth. There was once a Holocaust survivor and he told over his, over his story how he survived. This was a, um, he went to Bergen-Belsen in uh, one of the concentration camps, I believe it was, and he was in the in the concentration camp. They came and they one day they you know he smells like an aroma of like fresh baked rolls, and he's like he's like is this am I in heaven? You know what's I don't know if you're familiar with the Holocaust, but the Holocaust you got like stale bread, potato peels, so basically nothing to survive. You ever see pictures of the Holocaust? You see like little kids and even people with their bellies swollen, and that's what happens to the body. It sort of works backwards once you're you know when it doesn't have any food instead of you it would it actually swells up. And there's different parts of the body just act, starts acting very differently. You see these little kids, scrawny bones everywhere, and then like a swollen belly or the swollen, you know, and, and it's really sad. So they did, definitely did not give a lot of food. So when they, when this, when this Holocaust survivor smelled it, he's like, what's going on over here? Something's weird. And they see a Nazi carrying a box of uh, rolls. And he slaps it down on the table. And everyone's looking at, you know, everyone's first of all nervous. It's like, he's like, what is he going to do? You know, like, cause they, nev- this has never happened before. So the Nazi starts announcing, says everyone line up who wants fresh rolls. So this was all like crazy. That's like imagine you have a bunch of fat little children who have been on a diet, and they just said, "All right, diet's over. Cake for everybody." Imagine just everyone just you know going after that. Times that by a thousand to what compared to to in the, in the Holocaust where they didn't have any food, and suddenly you're giving them a fresh a fresh roll. That roll, by the way, could be worth millions of dollars for that pe- for those people. The people that are starving, they'll give anything for money. So he go they they make a they make a, a line. The line forms instantly. And they start handing out the rolls. One rolls, one rolls, and this Nazis with the smirk is like, oh, don't say that we never did anything for you. And they're going and they're giving one roll after another roll, and he sees this Holocaust survivor is seeing, you know, he's slowly getting to the line. But once he gets really close, 
he looks into the box and he notices that you know they're running low on supplies. And he's like, and he starts thinking. He's like, all right, this is a uh, this is not good. He does a quick calculation: how many people in front of him, how many rolls inside, and he see there are six rolls inside, and he's a sixth person. So he's beginning to sweat. He's like, oh man, if I don't get this role. And his role, this role is like, this is like the life right now. This is the goal. The main mission in life is to get that role. And he goes and he sees the Nazi giving him one role and another role and another role. And finally he sees he's the next person and there's two roles left. So he's going to get the last role. So he, you know, he doesn't say Baruch Hashem until he actually grabs it. Finally he gives him, uh, they give him one role and the one in front of him, he goes and he gets the last role. And he's like, oh, you know, he feels it. You know, he's already, the, the saliva is already dripping from his mouth and he's like, this is amazing. And then, to his surprise, the Nazi bends down and quickly picks up another box. And he had a whole bunch of other box of rolls. But while he was bending down, this Holocaust survivor realized what was happening. He says, oh, he didn't realize there was another box there. Now he had a split sec- second to decide what he's going to do. So he figured, you know, what he's, what he could do is if he quickly puts this roll in his pocket, he could make believe he didn't get a roll, maybe he could get two rolls, right? It's like a bonus on the, you know, on top of a bonus. So he's like, uh, for a split second, but if he gets caught, it's death sentence right over there. What do you mean? You, you know, how, how dare you do this? The Nazis are very, very particular and everything. So he says, uh, it's worth it. It's worth it. He bends, the Nazi bends down, he sees everything that's happening instantly, takes a roll, puts it in his pocket, the Nazi slaps the, the, the big box of rolls on the table, and he says, alright, who are we up to? And the guy who just put the roll in the pocket, he's like, right over here. I'm right over here. So he says, no problem. Yeah. And he gives him a roll. He takes the roll and he starts walking away slowly. You know how you have, you know, walk away and you did something, you know, we weren't supposed to do. So he's like walking, not moving, not breathing, just walking straight in the straight line. And he's like, you know, if I get 50 yards, I know I made it. And he's walking and he's walking and he's walking. And then finally, he feels that he made it. And he's about to take out the rolls to enjoy his, his rolls. And suddenly he feels a big hand, strong, firm grip on his shoulder. And, you know, right away his heart sinks. He's like, oh, no, this is not going to be good. He turns around and he sees these two, uh, these two big guys are sitting over there. And they says, uh, you know, we saw what you did over there with the rolls. And he's like, uh, what are you talking about? And he says, they said, uh, give us the rolls. And he's like, I'm sorry, I don't know what you're talking about. And he's like, no, we saw you take two rolls. Give us the rolls. Now they're, they're ours. So he says, he says, no. He says, it's my rolls. He says, well, why, why should I give it to you? And he's like, so they, they go to him and says, you better give us the rolls. Because if you don't give us the rolls, we'll take the rolls. And he's like, he's like, this is my rolls. I got a fair and square. Deal with your rolls. And they're fighting back and forth. And finally, you know, the guys were became impatient, and they put placed a nice fist on his head and his chest and his stomach and a few other places until you know he started you know bleeding from all orifices and he falls down on the floor. And they grab the rolls, and he's laying over the floor, blood dripping down his face. And he's thinking of that moment. He's like, he's like, why, why God? He says, why, why? Like, really? He says. For years, I'm stuck in this concentration camp. For years, I can't even get a single meal. And then finally, I have my lucky break. I could get a roll, and I get another roll. And then you take that away from me also? That was his last law before he lost conscious. When he wakes up, the sun is shining on him. And the second that the sun is shining on him, he's like, okay, something's going on over here. Something's wrong over here. Because the way that the Nazis go, it, 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 it was no wake late day. You know, like, okay, you sleep in late. You guys worked uh, hard that night. They woke you up by, before the sun goes up, and then you went to work, or you did whatever that it is that you needed to do. So he's like, maybe I'm in heaven. Maybe I died, and I'm in heaven. So he starts to try to get up, and then he realizes all the pain that's radiating all over his body, and he's like, all right, I see I'm not in heaven anymore. And he sits up, and he wipes, you know, the dry blood away from his face, and he looks around, and he notices that it's very, very quiet. He stands up, and he looks around further, and he sees there are bodies everywhere, just dead bodies all over the place. And he's like, he's, he's like, it takes him a few seconds to realize, once he realizes what happened was all the rolls that the Nazis put in there were all poisoned. Every single one of them were poisoned, and they were just a way of killing them. So this is a way of just uh, uh, having one last meal. And he realized at that point in time that because those two big people, big bullies, went and took away his role, that's what made him survive. So, and he goes and he, and he explains, says, sometimes we see in life things that don't go the way that you planned in it. Sometimes it looks like it's going bad and terrible. But if you wait and see, you see that it's going to be really be for the best. And that's my first answer on how do you deal with, with things that are, that are, don't look so good at, at, you know, at the beginning. It says, you don't know the full picture. It's like somebody who walks into a, a movie, smack in the middle of the movie. And in the movie, they, they see somebody fighting a, a, you know, a little old lady. And they're saying, you know, what do you, you know, and you start screaming at the screen. It's like, what, what is this, you know, abuse over here? There's an old woman over here, and this guy is beating her up, and everybody else is telling him, you know, quiet, sit down. You didn't, you missed the first hour. The first hour, she was selling weapons to ISIS, right? And she was blowing up, uh, you know, whatever, little kids, whatever it is, you know. And you know only what you see, and what we see is very limited to what the actual reality really is. So things that look bad are not necessarily bad, and I'll be able to explain it with this following story even better. And this is a story that was said by Rabbi Zamir Cohen. 
uh, Israeli uh, speaker, an unbelievable speaker. Also, he runs a very big uh, organization uh, called Hidabut, which is in Israeli, also Kiruv. So he explains like this. He says, one time there was a man who got into a very big debt. And he needed to pay off his, his uh, you know, his people that, that he owed money to, but he had no job. And he was getting very stressed, and, the, you know, the loans were kept on piling up. And finally decided, you know, he's going to have to take whatever job he gets, because at this point, you know, he's, everything's just piling up, bills upon bills. So he goes and he finds the first job that he's able to take. It's a job that paid decent salary for, you know, an Israeli. It paid him $3,000 a month. And he said, you know what, let me take it, at least it's something. He takes this job. This job was an hour drive to, an hour, I'm sorry, transportation from his house to, to his work. His work started at 10 a.m. So in order for him to get on time to work, he has to leave his house at 9 a.m. He leaves his house at 9 a.m. He has a bus, a bus stop right around the corner, and that bus leaves at uh, 9 a.m. He picks, he takes that bus, it takes 40 minutes to get to, to, to the stop where he needs to get off. From the 40 minutes, he has to walk 20 minutes to go to his office. So he has a total of 40 minutes driving, 20 minutes of walking. First few days, no problem. He gets on the 9 o'clock bus. He makes it to work on time. And one day, he's running a slightly, a little bit late. And he realizes that what, he's about to leave his, ha- his house already 9.02. And he's like, listen, I, I already, I for sure missed this bus. So he says, you know what? I'll, you know, what can I do? I'll get the 9.20 bus. So he goes, he finishes uh, doing things that he needs to do in his house. And he decides he's going to take the 9.20 bus. And uh, meanwhile, you know, he's becoming really stressed out. He's like, oh, I'm still I'm showing up in the first week of my new job. I'm showing up 20 minutes late, and I really need this job. You know, he's becoming really stressed. His blood pressure is going up. And then he's going, and then, you know, comes 920. He's like, okay, you know, I got to go. And he runs out. As he runs, he turns the corner, and he sees the 920 bus just leave. And he starts chasing, running after the bus, you know, screaming, waving, throwing things. Nothing doing. Right? The guy didn't see him and, and kept on going. So he's sitting over there. He says, this is, okay, 920 was bad. Because then I would get there at 10.20. But now I have to get in the 9.40 bus, and I'm only going to get there at 10.40. How do I show up in the first week in a job that I really need 40 minutes late? And he is sweating bullets. And he's sitting by the bus stop. He's like, he's like what am I supposed to do over here? He's, he's, going, you know, he's going crazy. So right now, if we stop the story right here, it looks like this was very bad that he missed the bus. If he would have gotten the 9.20 bus, it would have been really good. But the story continues, and he goes, and he's sitting there for three minutes. And after he's sitting for three minutes, a car drives by, stops, and starts honking at him. And he calls him in, and you know he's like, oh, he's like, oh. And he, he looks inside the car, and he sees it's a very good friend of him from from uh, high school. And he's uh, so they start talking. He's like, oh, where you, where, you know, where are you headed? He says, oh no, I need to go to work now. It's you know, it's an hour away, uh, you know, in the other side of town. So this friend says, listen, that's great. I'm going right there. Hop in. I'll take you to to the you know to your office. We'll be there in a half hour. You'll be there early. So he's like, oh, you know, he's praising God. Thank God, you know, they, you know, Now, if we stop the story right here, was it good that he missed the ninth? 20 bus? Yeah, because if he would have missed, if he would have got the 920 bus, he would have made it to work at 1020. But now that he missed the 920 bus, now he found his ride, and now he's going to get there actual work on time. So he's sitting in the car and he's driving. He's driving, and then finally, uh, he get, they get on the highway. They get on the highway, they drive for two minutes, they hit a oil slip, and they rear, rear out of control, and the car flips over. And he's sitting there upside down, you know, very confused and dazed. You know, ambulances are coming, Hatzalah's coming, 911 is coming, everybody's there. And he's, while, once he gets his composure, you know, everybody, they check him out. And they say, uh, listen, you look okay, but we can't, you know, just let you go because, you know, you were in an accident. And, you know, the policy is, the protocols are that you have to go into the, into the hospital to just get checked out, you know, some x-rays, some scans, and things like that, even though you look okay. So he's like, listen, he's like, I, I really got to get to work. I, I'm, I'm late as it is. I need to, go, you know, I really got to go. And the guys were like, you know, dude, calm down. You know, you just flipped in a car. You got to go to the hospital, even if you feel okay. So they force him to go to the hospital. We stop the story right here. Was it good that he missed the, the 920 bus? Now it's not good anymore. I mean, it, it, we thought it was good because then he got a, he got a ride. But really, the ride was really good or it was really bad. It was really bad because it maybe became an accident. So it would have been really good if the guy would have never even taken him on a ride because then he would still have been waiting on the bus stop and he could have maybe made it 40 minutes late to work. So, so far, we're a little bit confused of what's good and what's not good. Let's continue the story. He goes into, and he gets into the hospital. They check him and they see, you know, you're right, all the x-rays, all the, everything comes out back negative. But you were in a serious car accident, we want to keep you in for another day or two for observation. And he's like, come on, you know, it's like, oh, I can jump rope, I can do push-ups, let me leave. And he says, no, I'm sorry, we, we got to keep you in here. And he says, okay, fine, what am I supposed to do? First few days on the job and already he's missing a, he's missing a few days of, of work. He goes and he gets admitted. He gets admitted and he has, uh, when you're in the hospital, you usually have a, you know, a neighbor, right? Which is uh, divided by a very, very fancy uh, curtain, <laughs> which uh, for privacy purposes are excellent. Because uh, maybe you won't be able to hear him breathe. And uh, he's sitting over there and, it, you know, recuperating in, the, in his hospital bed. 
And then suddenly, you know, somebody comes in, and his, his, uh, his curtain is closed. Somebody comes in to visit his next-door neighbor. And he hears this voice, and he's like, wow, this voice is so familiar. And they're talking back and forth, and he opens up the curtain to peek. He says, oh, this, this voice is so familiar. And he opens it up, and he sees it's his best friend from elementary school. And he's like, he's like, yo, Moshi! And he says, ah, Yitzi, what's going on? And they start talking, and they're having a great time, and they're, he's like, what are you doing over here? And they start explaining everything that happened, and it's like, oh, don't ask, crazy week. And they start talking, and suddenly, the, this visitor says, he says, listen, he says, uh, what, what are you up to nowadays? He says, ah, you know, I started working in a certain place, you know, in a, you know, in a certain location. So the guy, his friend thinks for a minute, and he says, listen, he says, ah, you know, Baruch Hashem, I'm very successful, I have a big business. He says, uh, one of my big managers just left. And he says, I could use a guy like you. He says, uh, how would you like to work for me? So he's like, you know, everyone always becomes negotiators. Listen, you know, I have a job, I have a good job. And he says, uh, 10 grand a month. He says, where do I start? <laughs> I'll start working from the hospital bed. He says, 10 grand a month, I'll, you know, I was making 3 grand before. So he says, yalla. They signed the contract and they came. Now, let's stop this for a second over here. The fact that he missed the bus in the beginning, was it good or bad? It was good. The fact that he missed the second bus, was it good or bad? It was good. The fact that he missed, that he fed, that his friend came and picked him up, was it good or bad? It was very good. The fact that he got into an accident, was it good or bad? It was very good. It led him to the hospital. The fact that he was admitted to the hospital, was it good or bad? It was good. The fact that at the end of the day, what happened? Everything led up to the final point. The final point was good. And this is how we see sometimes in life. And this story can go on forever. And the, 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 I think the idea is very clear. Sometimes we see things that don't look so good. It, it's, it's troubling at this point in time. But at the end of the day, it's always good. Kol man da'avid Right? Everything that happens, it happens for the reason and happens for the best. Not that God hates you and God is punishing you per se. Obviously, people bring suffering upon themselves. Somebody that smokes a chain smoker, and then, you know, Khalila, he gets, uh, he gets the, the machla, he gets, he gets cancer, he gets lung cancer. And be like, oh, God must hate me. Be like, you probably hate yourself a little bit more. Because you've been chain smoking, so you you know what do you somebody who's a deer devil and he decides he's going to tightrope between the you know uh, two hot air balloons and he falls and he slips. He'll be like, oh, you know, this is what it was meant to happen. He's like, yes, it was meant to happen, but you're also an idiot for for putting yourself in in, in a, such a situation. So let us uh, let us uh, uh, go and try to to uh, now go uncover a little bit more about this uh, this idea. There is an. Um, I want to actually present, there's Rabeliao Deslau. He, 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 he wrote a book, and it's in English, and I strongly recommend everyone to read it. It's an amazing book called Strive for the Truth. And, well, Best book ever. It's an amazing book. It's an amazing book, and the, the, the way that he presents everything, and the, the knowledge that he have there is phenomenal. So I want to, he has a whole thing about, uh, uh, you know, about suffering and dealing with that, and I want to I share a majority of that, uh, of that work. There's certain times that I get certain things from Svarim. You know, and I, when I do research for a certain topic, so I get certain, re- so I usually, I'll, I'll, I could read a whole book, and then just take a few pages from the entire book on a certain topic. But, so I usually like shorten it. When I was reading this, I, I, I tried to shorten it. I couldn't. Everything was so good. Everything had to be said. So I strongly recommend everybody to, you know, it's an, it's an amazing set It's an amazing, it's a great read. It's a, it's a, it's a very, it's, it's, it's just amazing. It's literally the best book ever. So, now the, he explains like this. He, he explains that every person, he says, of sound faith knows that good deeds in this world, is, is where, where, where do you reap the benefits? It's all meant for the next world. It's all, the main benefit that you get from mitzvot and ma'asim tovim and Torah and all those things is the next world. Granted, you also get stuff in this world also, right? There are certain mitzvot that you get, you know, there are certain things that you do in this world and you get in the next world. And it even says in Pasha Bechukotai, if you listen to God and you listen to all His, His commandments, you'll have a good life. You'll have rain, you'll have health, you have all these things. So you do get in this world, but the main, the bulk of the reward is in the next world. Now, some people have, he explains, have, have issues with that because they think that, okay, what's wrong with having both good? Let's have it in the next world good, and let's have it good in this world. Which, granted, it should be, it should be, it should be on everybody, it should all have a good life, it should all have a successful life. But some people don't have that. Unfortunately, and they're very unfortunate, but, but why? This is not fair, you know. By the way, this is a one uh, a one uh, sentence that should not be in anybody's vocabulary. It's not fair. It's not fair should not be in your vocabulary because there's no such thing as it's not fair. Sometimes it appears that it's not fair, but if God did it for you, it's very fair. Well, you think God gave you something that's not fair? So if God something did something to you, whether it's good, whether it's bad, it's always fair. It's not always fair. It's always just, and it's always for your benefit. So he said, and he explains also the Chafetz Chaim, I believe, says this, and I believe this should be made into a bumper sticker. It says with uh, with people. That have faith, there are no questions. People without faith, there are no answers. There's some, and I've had these conversations with people that all the time, if, if they don't believe in God, they don't know God, they don't know anything like that, they'll ask questions for today till tomorrow, you can answer them the best answers. 
but it'll go either or there, somewhere around, right? They'll, they'll, it'll go somewhere else except in here. They won't get it. They won't understand it. There are some people that they have faith and they don't have questions in life. There are certain people that live such unfortunate, miserable lives, but they're the happiest people. And there are some people that live the best lives. They're multi-billionaires. They have yachts and planes and boats and fa- everything, but they're still miserable. They still need to take antidepressants. A big part relies on the faith and munah, bitahon. So much so that the problem, the problem arises that when people go and people listen to God and they see that things are not going, you know, the way that it should go, they could say that, you know, there's a, there's a verse in, Ma, in Malachi in uh, chapter 3 verse 14. What benefit do we have from listening to God? What benefit? If we don't see the benefit, we should see the second that we start keeping Shabbat, the second that we start keeping kosher, the second that we start learning Torah, the second that we start doing certain things, everything should be amazing, everything should be awesome. So why did God do it that way? Why, why is the world run that way? There's a Mishnah in Perkei Avot. Rabbi Yaakov Omer, Ha'olam HaZeh Domele Puzdo B'Tnei Olam Abba. This world is compared to like a hallway to the next world. The next world is imagine a big mansion, but you have a hallway. The hallway gets you from outside into the mansion. Now, if somebody needs to decorate, what are they going to decorate? Well, you know, you, you want to you put fancy stuff and marble and paintings and all those things. You'll put a little bit in the hallway, but your, your focus will be in the, in the actual mansion. Your focus will be in the home. You'll buy nice furniture for the home. Who cares about the, the hallway? It's like a small little narrow thing that you throw a coat. So you have a little nice stuff over there, but the main po- purpose is that. This world is considered like the hallway. The next world is that big mansion. There's so many people that they're so busy with, build, you know, ex- expanding the hallway, you know, you know, uh, doing construction on the hallway. What is that called? Every every six months or somebody that, you know, they remodeling. Yeah. They'll remodel every every few months the hallway. Meanwhile, the, their their mansion is bare bones, has nothing going on in there because they're so busy with their hallway. Says the Mishnah, this, this world is like a hallway. The main world, the main purpose of everything is in the next world. And you can also look at this in the, you know, in the, you see Miselat Yisharim, it says, what's the purpose of this world? The purpose of this world is to give you the ultimate good. The purpose of us, of you doing mitzvot, the, you, why does God care if you have to be modest? Why? Why does it make a difference if I'm sweating? Oh, but are you modest? What's the difference? What, why? 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 What, it's, you, people think that it's for, it's for God. That's, I'll make God happy. You happy now? You happy? Uh, kept Shabbat. Yeah, yeah, you happy? <laughs> like how you did something. Right? There's a, there's a, there's a pasuk in, uh, in Eov, in Job. Chapter 35, verse, 6 and verse 7. Im chatata matifalbo. If you sinned, you think you did anything to God? You think you hurt God? Im tzedakta matitenlo. If you did a mitzvah, you think you gave him something? You think God needs your mitzvah? You think God is, is affected once you do a sin and, you know, now he's, he's, he's all bothered by it? He granted he is bothered by it because he loves, you know, you as, as a child. But it doesn't take away anything from him. People think, okay, I did it. Show me the money, God. Let's see where it is. Where, when is it going to rain? And people very, very, uh, they very much misuse the, the whole idea. The, they, they don't understand that when somebody does a mitzvah, somebody does, you know, you're modest, you're keeping Shabbat, you're doing all these things that you're doing, it, you're doing it only for yourself. You, at the end of the day, you're the one who benefits from these things. So, you know, and the, the biggest, you know, I should say it's, a, it's, a, it's sad for people that live through life and completely miss the boat. They completely miss the boat. They don't, you know, they, they work and they become successful, but then they come into the next world with nothing. Bare bones, right? Empty suitcases. They come with absolutely nothing. It's a, you know, you can compare it to somebody who was, uh, who once saved the king's life. He was a peasant, didn't have, you know, size of his brain was the size of a chicken egg. You know, he was not smart at all. Very bare bones of anything, you know, anything. Didn't understand anything, but he happened to get lucky and he, and he saved the king, uh, a king once. He saved his life. So the king said, listen, I'm so grateful for you. He says, well, you, I want you to come to my, uh, to my palace one day. So, you know, he's thinking, he's like, oh, now I gotta make a trip to the king. Why is he punishing me? I just saved his life. And he goes into the king's palace and he's like, yes, my dear king, what can I do for you? And he says, the king gives him a bag and he says, I want you to go into my treasure house. I want you to take, take stuff. Take, take, take as much as you, as much as you want in here. Um, so he's thinking he's great, you know, he's like, alright, you know, we'll do. And he takes his bag and he starts dragging and he's like, oh, great, now I have to work for the king. He says, after all this that I saved and now he's making work for him. So he walks in, he's like, you know, half sleeping into this, uh, into this treasure house, and the guards open up, and they say, uh, you got, you got eight hours. Do whatever you want. So, he's like, alright, you know, and he's walking over there, and he's looking around, he slings this little knapsack over his shoulder, and, you know, he sees, you know, he knows he's supposed to fill up his knapsack, but he's like, ugh. He sees, he finds a small thing, something that's not gonna be too heavy for him to carry, maybe. He takes it and throws it in there, and he throws it in there. Then he, after like, you know, a few hours of walking around, this king's treasure house is huge, and he walks around, he sees no one's even watching him. And he's like, that's odd. He's like, why would the king make me worry? Nobody watching. So he looks to the right, looks to the left, not a, 
So he makes a makeshift bed in, in on the side, and he takes a little snooze. And he sleeps for like, he sleeps the best nap he had in weeks. And he sleeps, he wakes up four hours later, and he's like yawning, you know, and then he starts rolling some diamonds, you know, for like playing bowling. You know, he's like, this is awesome. He's like, he's like, I, he's like I'm, the, I'm the winner over here. He's like, the king thinks I'm working for him. Ha! He's like, uh, he's having a blast. Finally, he throws another few things in, in, the, in his knapsack, and, and uh, the guards come in after eight hours, and he says, uh, Yalla, Habibi, time to go out. You're done. And he says, no problem. He goes, flips the knapsack over there, and starts whistling the way home. And he's so happy. He's whistling. He's like, ah, the king thought he's going <laughs> to, I showed him. And he comes, and finally he meets up some, some, uh, some wise man on the, wor- on, the, on the road, and he sees that he's holding a bag with the king's emblem on it. And the wise man says, he's like, oh, you coming from the palace? And he's like, yeah. So he says, what were you doing in the palace? He's like, ah, don't ask. You know, the king wanted me to work for him, but I showed him. So he's, uh, he's trying to mess with me. He says, I showed him. So he says, what, you know, what do you have in there? So he opens up says, oh, a few rocks, you know. And he's like, these are not rocks. These are diamonds. These are worth a lot of money. He says, what, you know, what, was, what happened? So he explains him the whole situation. He says, you know, whatever the king said, I can, you know, do whatever I want in there. So he thought I would work for him. So the wise man is like, are you, you an idiot? He says, you could have been a multi-billionaire. Everything that you picked up was for you to take home, to keep, and you could sell, and you could be, you, know, you won't have worries of money for the rest of your life, you, your children, and grandchildren. He says, well, you're a fool. You slept during the time where you could have picked up billions of dollars. So what an idiot. And he, the, the second that this uh, um, wise man tells this person, you know, you know this uh, fool, he's like, he's like, he's like, well, he's like, this is worth something? He's like, what do you mean, of course, this, this guy was a peasant. He only sold the copper coins. He never sold a gold coin before. He never sold a diamond before. And he says, and, and he's like, and now he starts out, he's like, I made a mistake. And he starts running back. And he starts banging on the wall. Let me in, let me in. Just five more minutes. Just let me go in for five more minutes. Let me just take a handful. The guard's like, uh-uh. Five o'clock. We close. We're on break now. He says, that's it. Deal's over. Game over. When someone comes into the next world, you come with whatever you gave, you did in this world. You come in this world, and then suddenly you come, you get up there, and you realize things that were important. In the next world, and, and more really important, you thought I was unimportant. Things that were not important, you thought that were, were important. You wasted your time. You took naps. You, took, you, you just wasted your time. Meanwhile, you could have picked up diamonds. You, picked, you could have picked up gold. And you get up to the next world, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't, I didn't know. Give me five minutes in the next. Get, let me go down for like five minutes. Just no, like five minutes. Let me just like learn for five minutes. Uh, uh, just give me. And they say, no, no, no. Time's up. That's it. Gates are locked, and you can't do anything about it. It's so unfortunate when people, when there, there's so much that you could accomplish in this world. People, a lot of them, are, are doomed for failure with their own internal you know, self-esteem. They think, I can't. I can't accomplish anything. Those are the people that they, they destroy themselves. They destroy themselves. You don't know how much you're worth. You don't know how much you can accomplish. You know, the, you know just the, the uh, one prayer of a, of a woman. You know how strong a prayer, a prayer specifically of women are. You know what modesty does? You think, okay, big deal. So I, I didn't get it. You know what, 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 you know what a kiddush Hashem? It's so hot outside and there's a, there's a Jewish world that's going, that's walking modest. You know, and the non-Jew goes and be like, I respect that. You know, even though there are mini shorts and there are who knows what, but they're like, you know, I can respect that. You know how much, what a kiddush Hashem is worth? What, what the value it is in the, it's, it's imagine they say, uh, and it's hard to understand this because we don't have the money, but imagine that they say, you keep one Shabbat, you make 250 grand. No, 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 we no question. But we know that one Shabbat is worth more than 250 grand in the next world. But yet it's very hard to connect, to connect those two, to connect the actual reward because we don't see it. And when you don't see it, that's, a, that, that's when you come a big problem. And this is where Emunah comes in. This is where Emunah, the stronger that you have in Emunah, the more you will be able to understand this and the more you'll be able to live life this way. There is uh, many people that, and this probably will be more of a topic for next week, is how come you see people that are wicked and they prosper. They have a great life. They don't keep Shabbat, they don't keep kosher, they have amazing. And then you have people that are, you know, they're doing everything. I mean, all they're suffering. They can't make any money. Their kids are not getting married. One thing after another, family problems. And you're like, where's, where's, the, just in this? where's the justice in this? So, to understand, that, well, I'll give us a, a little bit of a, of a brief answer over here and we'll go into more, into more detail about this from next week. There is, it's very interesting when you look at the blessing that, that Yaakov and Esav were given. Yaakov, we know, was the, was the, the, one of the forefathers of the Jewish nation. Esav was one of the, of, you know, all his descendants were of the non-Jews, even though he himself was technically Jewish. The, the blessing is very different. You look in, in Bereshit, Genesis, chapter 27, verse 28 and 29. It says for Yaakov, for the Jew, what does it say? And God will give you from the dew of the heavens. But the one word over there, it says Elohim. Now you look at Esav's, Esav's Baha, says, I'll give you from the fat of the land. There's no word Elohim. Now why is it that the 
for the Jews, for the for Yaakov, he got Elo- Elohim inside there, and for Esav, there's no Elohim. Elohim is is judgment. It's like strict judgment. It says, why does Yaakov get strict judgment when he gets his blessing and Esav not? And the answer is, is because if there is, if let's say you have a student and you have, you want to, uh, uh, you know, let's say you're a teacher. Let's let's keep it this way. You have a teacher and you have a student that's a genius. Everything grasps everything, and every test is like a hundred. And every question you ask, he he knows it. And then he's, you see him slacking off a little bit. And suddenly, you know, he's not answering really. You know, he's getting nineties and eighties. And you go to, you know, you start getting really, you know, it's like, what's going on over here? You should be getting a hundred. You should be get. You're amazing. What, what's what's going on? And he says, low uh, eh, eh, Bali, you know. I'm not interested anymore. So you go and you'll try to invest a lot of time and effort for this kid. Then you have another kid, right, who I don't know if he concentrated for five minutes straight in his life. Second he comes into the class, he's ready in his own world, right? He's looking up right over there, you know, and he's looking over here, and then there's a bird that flies by, so he's captivated on that for like 16 hours. And he's and he gets 50s, 60s. But yet the teacher is like, yeah, don't worry about it. When I was, um, when I was growing up, I had a, had a certain kid, uh, you know, was one, my classmate, Many years ago, and uh, he had, uh, you know, was angry a lot, and and uh, he made some trouble. So the well, the teacher was like, "All right, why don't you go tell me if the hot water is working downstairs in the basement?" And you know, all of a sudden, you know, he's like, "It's got a mission," you know. And we're little kids, and he's like, "Okay." And he goes runs out. He comes back like 15, 20 minutes later, and he's already calmed down. He's like, "It's working." It's like, "Okay." And uh, two days later, three days later, he acts up again. Teacher asks him the same thing. Well, can you check if the hot water is working? You got it. And he runs down, and he says, "What well, you know." As opposed to somebody else, well, he'll discipline him and says, no, 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 this is, you could do better, you could do more, why are you doing this, why are you doing that? There's some kids that, unfortunate, and you should never be that way, but sort of gave up. It's not, there's, no, there's no hope. And there's somebody that there is hope. So this person who's a genius, who's very smart, who's getting hundreds, and he gets 90s, he's gonna, the teacher's going to care a lot more than the, somebody who's just getting 50s or 40s or, or 30s. Because he cares, he sees the potential in, the, in this person. When you have a, when you, as a teacher, the more that you see somebody have a potential, the more that you'll try. Not that you hate the person, not that you're harassing the person, but rather that you see the potential, that you see that what could be done. The other kid, you just give up. It's not, it's not going to happen. For Yaakov, God, the, the blessing was what? The blessing was Elohim. Why? Because we'll see. He says, when, do, when are you supposed to get the money if you deserve it? Why? Because if you don't deserve it, you're not going to get the money. And then it will start, you'll start contemplating, okay, why don't I have the money? You could learn from the mistakes. You can learn from the troubles that you have. That's the whole purpose. If you see that something bad has happened, you have to introspection. What's going on? Why did this bad thing happen? So you start, you'll be able to learn from that mistake. As opposed to somebody else, there's no chance. It's like, alright, just let him cruise through class. Let him cruise through life. Esav, there's no Elohim. There's no judgment. He says, don't worry about it. However it is, you're not, even if I give you tests, you're not even going to understand it. You're just a lost case. And, and you can have a good life. Others, somebody else says, no, you, you have the potential. That's why sometimes you see really great people that go through hardships in life. Why do they go through hardships? Because they could accomplish a lot. They could do so much. And somebody else, cruise through life like nothing. They're, they're good wherever they are. And I'm, I'm not saying that's a blanket statement, right? I'm not saying that, you know, that's not, anything that I'm saying, you know, there's so many different, uh, you know, Probabilities that come into to, to account, and only God can, can understand it. But just an idea that you understand that somebody has a suffering. There's a reason for it. That means, first of all, that they could handle it. There, uh, so that's why it spe- says specifically Elohim by by Yaakov and not by Esav. There is uh, he answers it. But the Odessa answers answers a, you know another question, which which is a very difficult question to answer. Is okay. So I understand people that have suffering, people that have difficulties in life. But what about people that are born? Are born with defects? They're born. They're mentally disabled. They have, uh, or they're not. They're autistic, or they have, or you know, they have some sort of, um, you know, handicap. He says, "What do these people do? Why do these people do it to deserve it?" And he answers it as follows: He says, "How come all human beings are different?" And it's really interesting to think about this. Every single human being is is completely different. They're different with everything that they're made up of, even their personality traits. So you have somebody who has 10% anger, 30% laziness, 40% kindness, or whatever the, the combinations of, and that's just emotions. Then you talk intellectual. There's some people that could grasp very quickly, but they're not too smart. There's some people that are smart, but they grasp, it takes a long time. Some people don't forget. Some people remember, you know, learn very quickly, but forget very easily. There's so many variations that come into play. Why does everybody have to be so different, right? And the Gemara says, the Gemara in Sanhedrin says in, in page 38a, just as their faces are different, so too their ideas are never the same. People are always different. And not only that, 
you're different every single day. The mood, emotions, and intellect that you have now was different than you had five minutes ago and different than you had yesterday, and it's going to be completely different than you are tomorrow. There's so many different factors that come into play. What, why is it? Why couldn't everybody just be uniform? Look the same, act the same, because we know the whole point is to do mitzvot. The whole point is to get to the next world. So make everybody the same. Why does everybody have to be different? Why does everybody have to have different ideas, different emotions, different intellectual capabilities? Let everybody be the same. So he answers it. He says uh, that imagine that you had somebody who was supposed to give a king a, uh, you know, the king was, uh, you know, won a war, let's say. And you have to go and you're presenting a speech for the king and the entire, you know, country or whatever, all the important people. Anybody who's anybody is going to be in there. And you and a few other speakers are going then presenting, you know, this to the entire, uh, you know, how the king well did it and all different things. So you'll spend a month on that speech. You'll rewrite it. You'll change things. You'll re- you'll send it to different people. Like okay, you know what? Can, you'll practice it in front of a mirror. You'll practice it in front of a dog. You'll practice it. In front of, and you'll do whatever you can to to perfect it. And finally, you feel like you got the perfect perfect speech. And imagine you come over there and you're the last speaker. King says, "Listen, he says, yeah, I know you're you probably got the best one. I'm putting you at the last. Yeah, you're probably right. Yeah, it's, all right. it's good. Yeah, I'll take you last. That's right. So achon achon chaviv. So he goes and the first person gets up there for the speech, and he starts the speech. This, this person that wrote the speech, his mouth drops open. It's as if he's reading his notes. It's as if he took his notes and he's reading exactly the same the speech that he wrote. And everyone's like, wow, that's a great idea. That's, that's awesome, beautiful speech. He finishes the whole thing. And now this guy's starting to sweat bullets. He's like, he's like that guy literally read it. He looks like he just read my entire thing. And his heart starts pounding. He's like, what am I going to do? He says, the next speaker goes up. The next speaker goes up and says exactly the same speech as the first person that came up there. And now, you know, there's like a mini stroke going on in this person's head. And he's like, he's like, that's it, I'm done. He's like, well, how, two people, you know. Third person comes up, same exact speech, didn't even deviate one iota. And the fourth, the third, and the fourth, and the fifth, and finally he gets up there. And, you know, what are you supposed to do? Say the same speech? That's a, you know, the king's going to have his head. He says, what, you couldn't figure out one thing different? Everybody had to say the same thing? When we come into the next world... Every mitzvah that you do, everything that you do is completely different than anything you ever did before and anything that everybody else did. Because you are very different than that other person. Right? We know one of the, one of the most basic mitzvot and one of the most advanced mitzvot is Kiddush Hashem. Now Kiddush Hashem explain, explains Rabbi Dessler that all mitzvot and all forms of worship are some sort of form of Kiddush Hashem. Which means is whenever we have, we, we have self-restraint and we don't do a sin, or wherever we do a mitzvah, you have some sort of Kiddush Hashem going on, going on over there. He says, but every time that you do a certain mitzvah, it's a different reward that you get. You have different, you know, different kavanot. You're, you're in a different situation. You could have been angry and now you calm yourself down. It's going to be a lot greater reward as if you were, you know, just in a great mood. You have, so every time you do something, every time somebody else does something, is always going to be different. So when you come up there, and God says, let's see what you have. And you show him a big arsenal of all these things that you did. You did this mitzvah all your life, kept Shabbat. But every time, it's very different. This was a little bit harder here. This was a little bit easier. This, you, everything is so different. So the, the, the reward and the greatness of the feeling that you have, that what you could do, it will be so much greater. That is why, why if the purpose is the next world, let us God just make a, just send us to the next world. Why do we have to do this all intermediate thing? And the answer is, is because when you work for something, thank you, when you work for something, you appreciate it much more than if you just got it as a free handout. And now most people would gladly accept a free handout. But the actual enjoyment that you have is, a, a, let's use money for example. If let's say you have somebody that, uh, you know, he inherited $10 billion and then you had somebody else that worked and made $10 billion, who's going to enjoy his money more? The guy who worked for it. The guy who worked for it and earned it is going to enjoy it a lot more. So in the next world, God wants us the ultimate enjoyment. The ultimate enjoyment means that you earned it. So that's what we're here for to do. We're here to earn it. And the ultimate way to earn it is to be completely different, completely from everybody else every single time. So every opportunity, every suffering, every, you have an opportunity right now to do a Kiddush Hashem in a different matter. And he explains it, he says, you know, illnesses and suffering and handicaps and, and disabilities. All those things are opportunities to serve God very differently. When somebody is born, in, uh, and obviously there's a lot more that just come into play, that, you know, the reincarnation and there's, a, you know, suffering and for sins and for, there's a lot more that comes into play than just that. But to understand that if somebody has, uh, you know, if somebody has a mental disability, it's not only in the person, the whole family takes, takes a toll on it. So now how the family is going to handle it, it's an opportunity to serve God with that situation that you have. There's certain people that have a lot of money. How are you going to serve God with the money? There's certain people that don't have money. How are you going to serve God? So you, every situation is another opportunity that you have. There are any questions so far? No questions. <laughs> wow, very good. There are uh, to understand. You know, suffering is 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 
that all this is easier said than done. It's easier to, it's easy to speak about it. But what happens when you get angry? Oh, somebody really, you know, oh man, and you're, you're, you know, you feel it's getting hot, you know, and, and, you know, you're starting to get red, and, you know, and you, you know, that's it. You know, you're flexing your muscles, you're like, oh, this person's gonna get it. It's very hard to be like, alright, stop, hold up. All from God, a test. It's very hard to take, come into that to play. That is why, when, when there's certain topics, when you learn, it's not enough that you know about it. Emuna is something that you have to breathe it. You have to go and you have to, you have to, it's something that it's, it's like a muscle. You have to keep on reviewing it. You have to keep on working on yourself on it. And eventually what would happen is, is that it will become natural to you. When you, when, when people are, are sitting, you know, they, let's say they're taking karate. What, they take karate, the, what will the sensei do? You go into the karate class, they'll teach you a, they teach you a move. They teach you a move, and then for the next half hour, you're practicing the same move. It's a block and a punch, whatever, and a kick, and all these things. Be like, I know the move, teach me something else. No, you have to make it second nature to you. Once it's second nature to you, then you'll be able to act with instinct. When you're able to act with instinct, you don't even think about it. You're in a fight, you're done. The other guy is done, because your instinct is already to do whatever that you are trained to do. And that's why you have uh, police training. I don't know, American police training is not that great, but, uh, but, uh, but you have like, there are certain countries that they have not like a six weeks, you know, here, figure out how to shoot a gun, or whatever, to six months, and then, uh, you know, hopefully you'll be, uh, uh, just aim at the right uh, general area. There are certain there are certain places that your years you're in training for it. They obviously, have a lot different crime rate than, uh, than than what's going on over here. But whatever. But the idea is is that they make it second nature to you. You're going you're you're, you're becoming a soldier. You're becoming a, you know a special ops or whatever it is. It's second nature. Why does a me- a doctor need to do uh, go through residency for three years or f- and then they want to do specialty another four years? Why do they have to do that? Because they Ingrain them into them. This is no, you're gonna leave, live and breathe medicine. So much so is that you'll wake up with two hours of sleep and you know exactly what to do in the surgery because, you know, you've done it a thousand times and you, you, you've lived it. In order to be good at something, you have to make it in your, your, your instinct. You have to make it part of you. If you want emunah, it's very difficult to, to start all of a sudden, okay, you heard a lecture about emunah and that's it, then you're good for, for, you know, for another few months, you know, but you have to live it. You have to, you have to read books on it. You have to, there's so many great, great sources for these things. Nowadays, if I'm not, mis- I'm not mistaken, I remember there was a, a big rabbi, and I, I can't remember who it was, and they asked, what is it that the people should work on? And he said emunah. Now day and age, out of all things, it was very interesting, he said emunah. Emunah, because it's a very, Emunah is a faith in God. It's believing that everything happens, happens for a purpose. And there's always a greater plan. And, uh, uh I'll, I'll say you this, uh, this, uh, story, and I know we're running, uh, close to, to the end time. The, there was once, I believe I heard this story from Rabbi Zechariah Wallace, and if I'm not mistaken, that there was one time a father that had three children. And this father was extremely, extremely wealthy. And these three children, one of them was a great child. He was like, you know, the best, the most amazing, uh, um, you know, child that any father could ask. Then he had another one that was a party animal. He used all his money for just parties. Then he had another one that was just like, you know, laid back, so wasted his time, you know, not doing anything with his life. So he, the father is getting on in his years and he says, listen, you know, um, I'm going to divide. I don't want to, you're not going to divide it after I die my money. I'm going to divide it while I'm still alive. And, uh, and the inheritance is as, as follows. He says, it's going to be a race. So we're going to all play a game. He gathers his, his three children around him. He says, each of you have a certain, you know, they give him a little box. And in a certain box, you have a certain key. That key will give you, you have to go to the marina, to the, to the bay, and you have a certain mode of transportation over there. The, all my money, all the treasure, all everything is in my, is one of my islands that I own, and it's, it's out there. He says, whoever gets there first wins the whole inheritance. And, um, he gives them all a thing, you know, see everybody's like getting ready, you know, getting a head start, you know, you know, and they're counting down, and he says, three, two, one, and go. And all the brothers are pushing them, and they, and they book out to the, to the, to the, uh, to the marina. And they get to the, to the water, and they see there was a guy that, uh, that was always partying. He has a huge party boat. He has a yacht. Yeah. And there are already people on it. He's smelling the barbecue and the beers in the fridge. And he's like, this is awesome. And he got the key for that. And he's like, this is awesome. And the other brothers are walking past by and be like, all right, well, ours, I'm sure ours will be just as good. And he, the other, you know, the lazy brother is next. The lazy brother gets an X key and he gets a nice, beautiful sailboat. Like, you know, like a nice 90 foot sailboat. You know, amazing. It's relaxing. I'm, you know, cruising on the waters. And he's like, this is awesome. And the, the last brother, the best, the best child, he ran and he, uh, you know, he comes to his, his little spot and he opens up and he's like, this must be a mistake. This is a little one-seater kayak with little paddles. And he's like, he's like, T.O., time out. He's like, he's like, you gotta call. He's like, this, this has gotta be a mistake. I mean, the bad brother got a 
boat, the party boat. The other one got a sailboat. I listened to dad all my whole life and I get a, a kayak. This must be wrong. And they were like, listen, clock is ticking. You better just start jumping in and start paddling, little man. And he's like, you know, he's like, it's not, so he jumps in the boat and he starts paddling. Meanwhile, you know, everybody starts, you know, the brother sets sail and the other brother runs with the party boat and they see the, you know, he's like, look at the goody-goody one. And they're all laughing and then meanwhile the party boat is like making waves so, you know, it's very difficult for him to, and he throws him a beer. He's like, here, enjoy a beer. Maybe I'll give you something with my inheritance when I get there. And they all drive out. And this person, this poor person in the kayak is sitting over there and he's like, he's like, I don't understand. Dad, I know that dad loves me. I know that I, I know that I'm his favorite. He says, why would he do this for me? And then he says, you know what? It must be a reason that he did this for me. It must be for my best. I know dad wants the best for me and I know I'm his favorite. There must be a reason for this. So he starts, you know, paddling out and meanwhile, you know, he's getting blisters and the sun is beating on him and he is sweating and it's becoming a little bit more difficult to see how God's love is showing to the most favorite child. Suddenly, he uh, um, passes by, you know, he, he's paddling for like, literally like nine hours and the sun is already beginning to set and he's like he's like i don't even know what's the point over here anymore he's like they for sure got there and, came, and you know they're probably on the way back but he decides you know what dad did this keep on pushing and they keep on going and they're going and they start paddling and then suddenly he's uh, uh he notices in distance the the party boat is just sitting over there so he's like that's odd why are they he's like this you know my brother what are, you know he's probably just waiting so i could catch up so he could do more waves on me so he paddles up and the other brother starts screaming at him. He's like, hey, little brother. He says, uh, maybe you got room for one more on your kayak? He says, what do you mean? you got a boat. What do you want my little kayak over here for? He says, we ran out of gas. He says, we're stuck over here. He says, I, I, you know, I didn't even bother checking. He says, we can't. We're stuck in the middle of the ocean. So he says, I'm sorry. One seater. See you later. And he starts paddling. And he's like, oh, this is pretty good. He paddles for another hour. And then he sees the other sailboat sitting over there. And the other guy says, hey, little brother. He says, you got room for one more over there? He says, oh, listen, he says, I got one seat. He says, what's wrong with you? He says, you don't need gas. He's like, yeah, but there's no wind. He says, I've been sitting here. There's nothing going on over here. There's no wind. I'm sitting here for, for hours already. So he sits over there with blisters, and he keeps on rowing and rowing and rowing until he finally gets to the island. And he gets to the island, and he gets the treasure. He comes back and to his father, and he says, you know, he comes back. He says, Dad, why, why couldn't you make it a lot simpler? He says, he says why, why did you do this whole thing? He says, how did you know that all this would happen? You know, maybe they would have gotten it. So the father smiles says, listen, he says, first of all, I was going to put the gas in the boat. He says, I knew exactly how much gas it was supposed to be. So I checked the weather beforehand. I knew the, the, the wind, the, the, how much wind it was supposed to be. He says, I built everything so that you could be successful. I built, everything was made, so you, it, it looked like it was bad, but really you got the best deal end of the deal. At the end of the day, you're the richest one. And you look in life, and you, you know, I had this question that came to me yesterday, actually. They were like, uh, why, why do all the non-Jews have all the money? Like, you know, even though there's plenty of wealthy Jewish people, they're like, if we're the favorite... If we're God's chosen one, then, first of all, why are we always hated on? Why is there so much anti-Semitism? I thought we're the favorite one. What's going on over here? And the answer is, is first of all, is you're looking at the small picture. You don't know anything. You don't, you, what do you know? You're just looking at the tiny little slot that you have in the movie right now. There's 15 minutes of fame that you have in your life. So you don't know the big picture. At the end of the day, the, where money counts, where things are going to really matter, is that you have a very special place if you do the things that you're supposed to do. If you listen to the Torah, if you listen to the Torah means fault, then you're going to be, you're, you're going to live real paradise. Not Bahamas, you know, Baha, whatever it is, the Caribbeans, you know, say that, you know, where you have to be worried every time you see a fly, you know, that, oh my god, this is a Zika virus. You know, and you can't even enjoy yourself when you're going into these, uh, forsaken places. But you're going, and you're going to a place where, where it's ultimate Ganeden, what's ultimate paradise, Olam this place where the ultimate, ultimate reward is. And what's that, where do you get that reward? You get that reward from doing things in this world. You think about it, every time you do a mitzvah, you're coming to Yeshua Torah, you know how much reward you're getting from just listening to Torah? It says, every, it says, Talmud Torah connected Quran. If you make a calculation, there is, you have, you, you do, uh, you know, you're learning for, for an hour. How many words can you speak in an hour? I speak fast, so that's good for your benefit, so I'll probably speak, you know, 300 words an hour, mm-hmm. 300 words a minute, times that by 60, times that by how, times that by 613, you're going to millions and millions of mitzvot just from learning Torah. Which is ridiculous. It's just, it's just unfathomable. Obviously, it's not enough to just learn. You gotta do. There are many people that uh, will learn and will, uh, uh, will very good, uh, you know, intellectual debates, as uh, people like to call it. Uh, waste my time with these intellectual debates. I'm like, the purpose is that if I prove you something, then you gotta do it. Not just be like, alright, pretty cool. Next week, same time. Be like, are you gonna change anything with your life? Like, what, what changed from before until after? Now that many people are so mistaken with this that they think, and I've had this conversation with many people before, and I think I, I've mentioned this before, and we'll finish with this thought. They say, okay, if you prove to me that God exists without a benefit, a doubt in my mind, I'll for sure keep it. 
And I said, I can prove to you that you won't. I says, no, 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 for sure. If you could prove to me, he says, I don't see God. I don't see all these things. He says, if you could prove it to me, I'll, I'll, I'll be religious. I'll be the most religious person in the world. So I said, 100% not, and I'll prove it to you. Smokers, do they know smoking is bad? Yeah. Why are they still smoking? Because they want to, and they feel like they want to. People that are extremely overweight, they weigh 450 pounds, right? And they're eating Cheetos off their stomach for breakfast with Coke. And ice cream that was melted, and they're just drinking it. No. I think I painted a nice enough picture. They're eating that. Do they know that it's unhealthy? Yes. Do they know that they should lose weight? Yes. But why are they still doing it? They have the knowledge. Just because you have the knowledge doesn't mean that you're going to take it into action. Just because you know doesn't mean that actually that actually it's gonna it's gonna be. That actually all depends on you. It all depends on you. Only you can change yourself. Only you can do it. Unfortunately, suffering is not a good thing, and nobody wants suffering. Nobody wants it. But if it does come, if something that doesn't come your way, just know it's all for the best. And just know that there's a greater plan and there is, not only is it all for the best, it's all for the best right now also. You just don't see it. Only at the end of the day, at the end of the picture, you'll see everything. Any questions? Nothing? I do. Oh, good. Go ahead. No, by all means. Maybe they had some questions also that day. <laughs> um, okay, so basically, um, we established tonight that, that all the mitzvot are really for our benefit. It doesn't benefit, Hashem, it benefits us. So, like, through doing mitzvot, does it, how do we serve Hashem um, with full, like, ahava, if everything we're doing is essentially selfish? So, you have, let's say, um, a father. And this father, you have a great relationship with. And your father says, uh, listen, I'm going to open up for you a business. I'll give you the, you know, the finances. I'll give you everything. I'm opening up the business. And you go and you, and he tells you what to do and you go ask him advice and you become successful. The money is really for you. Does a father, you know, feel proud that, you know, that his son is, is, uh, of course. He's like, oh, that's amazing. You know, that they, you know, even though it's all for your benefit, your, God wants you to, God is a father. God is your father. Hashem Yisbarach, He is your father in heaven as a single child. And he loves you very dearly. Loves you very dearly. It's like all day they're sitting by like a game of like, come on, do the mitzvah, do the mitzvah, do the mitzvah. Ah, come on. Al-Habdil. You know, you can't, you can't, uh, you can't compare it like that. Right? You have a whole audience in the next world, right? They're all watching and they're saying, you can do it. Come on. Two more inches of skirt. That's all you need. You know? And then it's like, oh no, it's too hot. Oh, put it all the way up. Ah, come on. And you have everybody over there throwing out oh, the popcorn. Oh man, come on. <laughs> Even though it's for your benefit, there's a lot that more that comes into it. it. Obviously, God wants you to be successful. God wants you to be to to win. You know, as a father, He wants you to win. But at the end of the day, it's all for you. Does you know? And this also, you have to understand is like, you know, the whole idea of God getting angry. Why is God getting angry? The, Torah, the, the Tanakh speaks plenty about it. God getting angry, and it's not the anger is not. He's not getting angry at you as as like is like. Oh my God, I can't believe this person again. After all the times, all the signs I said to him, Yala, enough with this person. You know, it, it doesn't get angry as enough. It gets angry as like we spoke before that it's like okay, let's remind her again. Let's remind him again. It says why is this person, this man, is coming home from 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 work and he hasn't opened up a sefer in a month? He didn't even he didn't even learn any Torah in a month. It says, what? It's like, okay, let's send them another reminder over here. Let's send them over here. Oh, there's a great, you don't even have to leave your house. You could sit on your couch and learn Torah. You go to TorahAnytime.com. You have so many, so many classes over there. There's so many, there's, there's unfor- it's fortunate and unfortunate, but there's, there's really no excuse for men not to be able to learn. There's really no, like what? So you're driving, you can plug in your phone to, you know, to, you know, to, to your, to your car. Yeah, you, you have CDs. You have everything that goes on and you could learn. And it's also important that women think, a woman is also important for women to learn because they have to learn what they have to do. Anything extra is a bonus. But you're required to learn for the things that you need to do. You're, you know, you're keeping a kosher kitchen. You're doing Shabbat. You need to do, uh, you know, all the, the important things you have to learn how to do because you obviously, obviously have to do it. But a man has an obligation to learn at all times in life. Right? When you wake up and you sleep, all, at all times a man has to learn. And there's so many people, they just, they just don't. They just, they, they, and it's unfortunate. I know these people, like, they'll, they won't open up a sefer. They won't, they, they won't, and even if they come to a class, they can't. They can't understand it. It just it just doesn't work for them. They don't have the merit. They don't have the schools for it. Unfortunately, you have to really work on it. But God does. God not want you to learn. Of course, He wants you to learn. This He wants you as this is you're His child. He wants you to be successful. And hence, when you do something good, you're 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 no. It's 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 not benefiting Him as if you're giving something to Him because He doesn't need anything and you're not taking away anything. But I, I don't know how to explain it as, you know, like, nachat. You know, nachat. So maybe you could you could understand it. Uh, uh, you know, some something like that. 
Did that answer your question? I went so off topic. I don't remember what your question was. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Oh, okay. Any other questions? Um, yeah, I have a question. Can you explain, like, I understand about Hashem, like, you should do everything, like, out of Simcha. What about fear of Hashem? So what's the difference between Ava and Ira? Sounds like you should be scared that you're going to get a punishment. Right? So, so the, how, what? So let's speak about this. is very important. There's, we, should be, we should do this class. Yeah, love and fear. It's really more in it's in Shuba. I'd say actually in everything. It's it's a very. So the question is, first of all, is you have you're supposed to love God and you're supposed to fear God. Now it's a little bit bipolar if you're going to do both. But I love you. Oh my God, I'm so scared. I love you so much. Oh, you know, it's like you know, you have like two people screaming and it'd be like fear of God and so. Uh, this is uh, this is also what comes. Uh, you know, I'll answer it. It might be you know like a two minute answer, but some people with the way they do kiruv, right? The way they bring people back to God is only through love. They'll be like, no, everything's awesome. It's amazing, man. You know, come on, it's awesome. Judaism is great, and it is. It's great. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's beautiful. It really is. Then you have somebody else who screams at you. Will be like, if you don't do this, you're going to hell. If you don't do this, you're going to do that. If you're going to do this, you're going to do that. You're going to oh, you're going to suffer. You're going to burn. You're going to do that. Both ways are incorrect. You need both. You need both. You need love and you need, you need, you need fear. The, the, the unfortunate, you know, the way that, that, uh, people think, I love God. Like God's my, me and God. People always do this to me. <laughs> me and God were tight. Yeah. It's like, when's the last time you spoke to him? You know, when you spoke last, when's the last time you came actually to a synagogue and, and actually maybe did a little prayer? We have an understanding. You know, we have an understanding. I'm like, you have an understanding with someone called a Satan, but uh, God is nowhere involved in this understanding of yours. So, where does it go? How do you, how do you know what to, when, when is it that you fear God and when is it that you love God? And in essence, it's both. When you, uh, you know, you have a loving father and, you know, he's very wealthy, but you love him very much. You have two options of how to, how to like, show his honor. Either you're scared of him because you know he's going to, like, cut you off the will or whatever it is, or you just love him so much and you just want to make him happy. So obviously the better end of the deal for, for you and obviously for, for the father is always to do it out of love. To do a mitzvah, to do tshuva, the number one is through ahava, is through love. Which means is, how do you, how do you explain that? Is that when you're doing a, uh, let's say tshuva, tshuva is very important. When you're, this is the easiest way to explain it, I think, is in tshuva. You have tshuva out of fear and tshuva out of love. Tshuva out of fear means that you're so scared of the punishment and you're so scared of what's going to happen that you're doing tshuva. That is great. And that's a, that's a, that's a chuvah, but it's a lower level chuvah. Then you have a, that would be another chuvah, is that of love. How do you do chuvah out of love? That you love God so much, and God is like, God gave me so much. God did so much for me. He says, how is it that I didn't listen to him? How is it that I, you know, that I, he told me to do something and I didn't do it? I feel terrible. And you do, you do this, this uh, chuvah out of the love that you have for God. Not of the fear that you have of the punishment, but the, the fact that you're, you're so upset and sad, whatever it is that you hurt him. That you, that you, you know, so to speak, obviously you can't hurt him. So the, the fear is very important and the, the, the love is very important. The love is the best, but you usually can't go one without another. Usually the way that it goes in is, is that you, fear is how you get close to God. And then once you get close to God, you can turn it into love. It's, it's very, most people, you look at people that are very successful in like Hiruv and bringing people back, they go through fear. It's a majority is, is through fear. Why? Why? Why do it through fear? Do it out of love. And I'll give you an example that happened to me this week. I was giving a class, and uh, somebody came over to me afterwards and says, uh, um, "You know, I was always, you know, one of the things that I constantly scream about is Shabbat and you know the importance of it." So he comes over to me. He's like, "Listen, I, you know, another rabbi came, and he told me. I asked him. He says, if uh, um, if I don't keep Shabbat when Mashiach comes, am I going to be, you know, invited?" And he says, uh, "Absolutely. Don't worry about it. Everybody's coming." He basically. Painted the picture as though God, we, God loves everybody, which he does. And he loves everybody, 100%. Sinners and, and doesn't matter. Everybody's, everybody, God loves everybody. And he goes and he says, but don't worry about it. You're good. He comes over to me. I've been working on this guy for Shabbat for like, you know, I was, I was almost there. And he's like, ah, what are you talking about? I like this rabbi better. Mm-hmm. You know, this rabbi says, I don't have to do anything. I don't know, it's a Shabbat. The, these, these people have a, you know, I, when I was speaking to another rabbi about it. And I was like, and he told me this, and he says, he says, there's a very special place in hell for these type of people, these type of rabbis, where you tell them, somebody says, oh, maybe I should keep Shabbat. Don't worry about it. God loves you, man. He's a brother. He's like, don't worry about it. Have a beer. Have a brewski. You know, it's like, what are you doing? Who, who are, there are certain people. So fear is a very, very important element in, in, in Judaism. There is fear. The Torah speaks about it. The Torah speaks about fear. That you have to, you live life off fear. And that's how everybody lives life. You live life off fear. You don't drive fast because of fear of a ticket. You don't, uh, um, well, 
I shouldn't say other things because that you shouldn't do because of morally ethical reasons. But you don't kill somebody besides the fact that if you really, really wanted to kill somebody, you really don't want to suffer the consequences. You don't do certain things a lot because of fear. What governs a society, what governs a, a country is fear. It's not like love. It's not like, you know, you get off the airplane and the customs are like, high five. Yeah, welcome to America, buddy. And they're like, no, they're sitting there with the uniforms that are neatly pressed and be like, what you got in there? He's like, all right, come over here. Like, where's the love, man? I thought this was you know, an awesome country. And like, no, everything is governed through fear. It's not governed through love. That's how way this world is. In the spiritual world, it's the same idea. It, the, the, but the love has such an important factor in it. It's so important, and it's even more important than fear. But you get to the love through the fear. Does that make a little bit sense? Yeah, it, it makes sense. Okay. Just, I, I, don't, I don't know. I feel like it could just be love. It doesn't have to be with fear. It doesn't. It's like you shouldn't think like, oh my gosh, I don't want to get this punishment. I'm only going to do it just because I don't want the punishment. If somebody can do it without that, tshuva out of love. Out of love. So let me explain like this. If, this is what we'll speak about when, when tshuva. If you do tshuva out of love, then if let's say somebody went and did a sin, and they ate something non-kosher, but they did tshuva out of love, that sin turns into a merit, which means is, is that when you come up to heaven, there is a, there's a sort of speak, like your whole life is played in front of you. So the Satan is sitting over there and he's like, all right, here, I got this. This is where they go into McDonald's and they eat a double cheeseburger. And they're sitting over there, but this person ate this, this cheeseburger and then they felt so bad about it that they did complete shuvah out of love. What happens is, is now that cheeseburger, suddenly he goes into Shlemy's bakery, you know, some really Jewish thing. And the Satan's like, wait a minute, I was here. This, this didn't happen. And he's like, he's like, oh, someone edited this. And you see, he's walking into Shlomi's bakery, a little thing, and he takes like a Danish, and he makes, he starts concentrating, he watches his hands, and he's going like this, and he makes the biggest, best blaha he ever did. And then he, uh, you know, he everyone answers amen, it's like a nice little choir, and he eats it, and then he makes a, uh, you know, an alam And the satan's like, what's going on over here? This never happened. And the answer is, if you do chuba out of love, your sin turns into a merit. If you do chuba out of fear, but what happens if, let's say, you ate non-kosher, and now you're so scared about, oh no, what's going to happen with that, and you do chuba out of fear. So what happens is, the same movie gets played, you're about to walk into McDonald's, and then suddenly, you know, there's like the, the fuzzy white lines. It's like, it's cut out. And be like, oh no, no, fix, fix the DVD, what's going on over here? The Satan says, well, you know, there's something, this was important. And then suddenly, it starts playing again when you leave. So the, the, the sin is removed, but it, there's like nothing there. So chuba out of love is, everything out of love is much better. That's the highest level. But not everybody is able to do it out of love. And most people cannot do it out of love, especially in the right in the beginning. You need to, usually there's an element of fear that, uh, you know, listen, we're saying in, uh, in Shema, you have to love God. There is, the, there, there, there is an element of love, but there's also an element of fear. And fear is, is a very, and most people need fear. Need fear, it's usually, the way that I see it is, is, is it's fear. Because, the way that I used to, the way that I always used to think of it is like this. It says, and I used to think of it exactly like you did. And I was like, I think it's easier to fear, to love God than fear God. I, I really think it's easier to, you know, you could, to love God is very simple. I love you. You know, fear God is like, all right, I gotta build an emotion. And you know, it's like, I gotta build a fear. It's very, very difficult. So I once heard from the Benish Chai, if I'm not mistaken, and, uh, he, really, he, he writes a parable like this to explain it. One time, there was uh, somebody, and I'm saying this from memory a long time ago, so I may, I may be misquoting a little bit, I'm going to this thought, that uh, he, he goes and he, uh, he does something for the king. And the king, you know, is like, you know, they become, you know, pretty close, and, you know, the king is very, uh, you know, says, listen, you know, the best, I, I really appreciate it. And, you know, you have a nice connection with the king, and, you, you know, you like the king, the king's a good, nice guy. And, uh, you know, but you don't have, like, you know, the fear that everybody else has. You know, you have a nice little, little uh, you know, connection they're going on with the king and then suddenly you know the king realizes this and he says why don't you follow me for a week and he follows him for a week you know this so, so this person follows the king for a week and he sees that the king happened to go to war and he's literally side by side with the king at war and you see, this king is like he's unbelievable he's a warrior this guy he's able to man a whole he's hand-to-hand combat he's right out there with the soldiers he is demolishing everybody he's like the hercules he's like amazing this guy and he's like all right oh this guy is you know yeah, I got a little bit more respect for him now. And, you know, and then suddenly he managed, you know, he manages his all, you know, as a chief, you know, managing the entire, entire army with like ease. Everyone's listening to him every second, every word that he says, everyone's saying, and they won, they win the, they win the entire war, they demolished the other side. So then all of a sudden your respect is suddenly going a little bit higher. And then suddenly you have, uh, you know, you're sitting, you know, that was just two days. And then you're sitting next to him and he's judging. And you see how people walk into him and he's like, you know, my dear king, you know, please, you know, I'm sorry. And he, life, death, Life, death, everybody's sitting there shaking in front of him. Be like, oh, you know, I don't, you know, this guy is a serious business. The more that you get to know the king, and the more that you realize about him, the more that you start to realize his, you know, his, you know, his awesomeness and his his greatness. 
people that come to Farsha Judaism, or even there, they've been Jewish their whole life, but some people, you know, have been Jewish just by doing actions, not by actually being Jewish inside. And, you know, they know God, they love God, but once you start learning, once you start realizing, you know, what God is, what God does, what is God, you're like, whoa, you know, now I could, you know, now I could begin to appreciate it. In the beginning, you could have that fear. You know, you get that, that fear that gets you in the door. But then suddenly, once you really see what's going on behind closed doors, and once you really put yourself together, then you're like, all right, this is awesome. This is amazing. So it's a sort of like a stepping stone to go into the, into the final, uh, place of, which is, uh, Ava. is the best. And if you get to Ava right away, very good. But how do you know you do Ava? How do you know you have the Ava? Is you do everything with such passion and love. Which means is when you do a mitzvah, you know how you love God? Is that you do everything with so much, you're not like, you know, uh, you know oh, I got a Shabbat already? Oh, okay. You know, you do the candle thing, and you, you know, it, it's, you're, you're do everything with so, pa- so much passion because you love. You love God. You love everything. And to have that is very difficult. It's very difficult to have it. As opposed to, oh my God, it's late. Oh, okay, I gotta go. That's more out of fear than out of love that you're doing it. So that's the way you know it, and with the amount of passion and what you have going on inside you. Better? A little better. Okay. We're getting there. It's a good question. That's a very good question. Yeah. Um, I recently learned, I, I don't know if it was here, I think it was, but um, something like you need to have both your ira and ava, yes. um, fear and love, but if you only if you were to only have one, um, fear is more important. And that if you only had ava and no fear at all, it's like as if you had nothing. I don't know where that is sourced. It's possible. I don't know where I have I have never heard of it. But the they uh, they're both important. They're both needed. Yira is fear is something that it, it makes the wheels turn. You know, it makes things happen. And that's how the you look at the country. Countries are run with fear. It's not like you know like everybody give everybody you know free hugs and free food and free everything. It's all everything's nice and party. Usually societies don't usually work that way. Usually through fear, through competition, through that's the way the building. Obviously, the spiritual is completely, you know, it's completely different, but it mimics at, at some point the the physical world. And also, I'm sorry. No. Um, so your aunt doesn't actually mean fear, right? It's not the direct translation, right? So why do we use it? So, like, why do we always dis- describe your aunt as fear, matter of factly? If it doesn't really mean that. What does it mean? The, some translate as like, a, it's more like an uh, awe or awesomeness or things like that. There is, um, there are certain things that don't translate well, but you, tra- like emunah does not really mean faith. Emunah is not, the faith, emunah is really faithfulness. If faith is not, there are certain, you know, the, listen, I'm sure like, let's say you're Russian, there are certain words, you know how you say a joke in Russian or something, it's not the same <laughs> if you translate to English, they'll be like, no, it's only funny in mother language, in mother Russia, you know, and even when I translate to English, it doesn't make any sense. There are certain jokes that are funny, there are certain things that don't translate over well. Now, Shona Kodesh is a holy tongue, you can't expect everything that it will work to translate, so we, they, they try to do it, uh, you know, till the... That's what I'm saying, like, if the concept isn't actually fear to, to, like it is fear in a sense though so, in a sense like what is it fully because there's another thing there's besides love and fear there's something else called like like, like this awness awness uh, not awesomeness awe or things like that that you don't most people don't speak about it. and the most people don't even bring it up because it's like a, it's it's you know it's like this this and then you know, way above. But uh, if you look at it, Pilkei Avot, I believe, uh, um, speaks about it. And there's there's a Sefer on Pilkei Avot. I believe the article Pilkei Avot speaks about it in one of the first Mishnah, Mishnah in its in its commentary. I don't remember where it's sourced from, but it speaks about it and how it's three different. Um, in the first parak, I, I I could look it up and I could find it and how it, it classifies the differentness. But I think it does classify it still as fear, love, and then like awe or awesomeness or or something along those lines. Anything else? Cool. You've just experienced another Torah class brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.